let's turn once again to, to God's Word, and we're going to continue our study going through First Peter. And uh, this morning we're, we're picking it up in chapter 1, um, reading it from verse 20 down to um, verse 3 in chapter 2. So that's First Peter chapter 1, verse 20, down to verse 3 in chapter 2. Let's listen to God's word together this morning. He, he being Christ, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is good, the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Amen. May God bless his reading of his holy word to our hearts and souls and lives this morning. Last week we thought about and we ended with um, Peter um, reminding us that we have been bought and by doing so when you buy something it then belongs to someone. And we are, as the scriptures say, I think it's in the book of Malachi, tells us that we are God's treasured possessions because he's paid a price for us. And Peter shows us that it was through the blood, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That is the price that God has paid for his people. And then in verse 20, there, where we read this morning, he shows us a glimpse into this purchase. I wonder what kind of shopper you are. I recently did a funeral and the, the lady who had passed away, I was told, loved shopping. And she would go shopping one week and buy all these lovely items of clothing and different products. And the following week, she would return them all because she realized that she didn't need any of them. And maybe you're thinking, that sounds like someone I know. But what kind of shopper are you? Are you an off-the-cuff shopper who runs around in a bit of chaos? Remember uh, like th that TV program I loved watching when I was younger? It was Supermarket Sweep. And it was just utter chaos. They were running around with a trolley. And they were just lumbering anything they could fit into the trolley in it. Or are you a bit more precise? Do you like to plan and compare? Do you like to uh, be controlled and your shopping. Maybe some people would even say you're a bit stingy with your shopping. What kind of shopper are you? Well, we see into the nature of the purchase that God has made for his redeemed through what Peter tells us in verse 20. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. He was set apart. Christ the Lamb. Christ was foreknown 
before the foundation of the world. He was set apart. The NIV would say that he was chosen before the foundation. But actually, the Greek here, and it fits better with the, the theology that Peter has been building in his letter. This, the better word here is foreknown. Isn't that mind-blowing that it wasn't an off-the-cuff off decision that heaven didn't just decide one day, we better send Jesus to go and redeem our people, but it was planned. It wasn't a quick response to some problem that they had. That when Genesis 3 happened, when sin entered the world, you know, heaven wasn't running around like those on supermarket sweep, you know, trying to find some spare change down the side of a couch. But actually there was complete planning here. That God knew, even before the world began, even before sin even entered into the world, even before time began, even before you were made, before the foundations of the world, Christ was set apart. Christ was foreknown. Isn't that just mind-blowing? And why is Peter telling them this? Well, it develops the theme that he is building here about God being in control. That this isn't just some sort of quick rapid response that heaven has made. Heaven knew. Heaven knew the cost. Heaven knew about, you know, Calvary wasn't a surprise to heaven. The cross didn't take the Lord by surprise. God knew. And what that shows us is that, that the depth of his love, that he loved us so much that, yes, he sent his son, but he was even willing to create the world, knowing everything that would happen, knowing he would have to send his son. It shows us this wonderful insight into the depth and, and the, 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 the magnitude that the love of God has for his people. In God's foreknowledge, he chose you. Because that's what Peter begins by saying. That you're God's elect. He's chosen you. And in God's foreknowledge, he chose you knowing you would need to be redeemed. And rather than just scrapping the plan of you, rather than just scrapping the plan of creating you, and, and the, scrapping the plan of spending eternity with you, from before the foundations of the world, God said, do you know what? I'll send my son for them. Such is his love. That before the world began, Christ was set aside as the Passover lamb so that he could redeem God's people. Isn't it good to know that this life is not happening by chance? I don't know how people can live in a world where they believe that there is no one in control. Isn't it good to know that someone is in control? That we have a captain. That we, if you've ever seen water or, or like sea, do you know, and, and, and if you have, you have something in the middle of the sea, it can just get blown around or you know swayed by tides and it's going here and it's going there and so many think that that's the world that there's nothing certain going to happen but friends the scriptures tell us that we have a captain we haven't been swayed about by the tides of the sea but our captain is taking us home he's got a course and he's sticking to it 
And there's nothing in this life that can happen that will deter us from that course that we are on as God's people. As we thought about a few weeks ago that we we have a home in glory land that outshines the sun. That that's where our captain is taking us. That he's in control. He's behind the wheel. And Peter is saying this to, again, just to develop this trust that even though, friends, he's saying you're going through hardship and trials and persecution and difficult moments, trust the captain. Because his plan didn't just happen when the world began, but even before the world began, I had this plan that I would send my son for you, for your redemption. Who through him are believers in God, verse 21 says, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. And Peter recaps these themes that he's already been developing in his letter that we're only saved through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, that is our only hope. That is our only hope. But here in verse 21, we see that Peter sets a clause at the end of verse 21. So that, he says, your faith and hope are in God. Do you see that? So that your faith and hope are in God. Christ died and God raised him to life so that people would put their hope and trust in him. Never forget that our faith is grounded in the resurrection of Jesus. Without the resurrection, we are not here. And what Peter is saying, because remember, we need to remember this, that the, the, the original audience are going through various trials, hardships, persecutions. What Peter is saying here is he's drawing parallels between his audience and their saviour. He's drawing parallels here for them to encourage them in their faith. What he's saying is, remember Jesus suffered and he died, but was resurrected and and, and was raised to life and has received glory. That is the living, that is the hope of the gospel. That Jesus suffered, he died, he rose again, he ascended on high and he's received all glory. That is the gospel. And what Peter is doing here is he's drawing parallels to say, just as these things happen to Jesus, these things are going to happen to you. You may suffer. You will taste death in this life. But your hope is one day you will be resurrected. The hope of the believer is resurrection and glorification. We will get a taste and see that God is good in all of his goodness, in all of his glory. That is what he's preparing for his people. That he will adorn us in the glory of Jesus. That will be made beautiful as his bride. Just as Revelation 21 says, as that city was lowered down out of heaven, out of the sky. And the apostle sees that city and it's glowing with all beauty. And the beauty that it was made beautiful with was none other than the glory of Jesus himself. That is your hope. doesn't matter what you're going through in this life. One day you will taste and see resurrection and you will see the glory of Jesus as his redeemed. And then in verse 22, Peter goes on and says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. 
And he keeps doing this thing. And you'll, you'll hopefully have noticed this pattern that he keeps doing. He keeps saying, what is to come has to impact now. What is to happen has to change how we live here and now. The hope of heaven has to change how we live here on earth. It's something he keeps doing. He keeps pointing forward and he shows the impact of it here in this day, in this moment, in this time. How foolish would it be if you knew you were expecting a child, but you didn't do anything about it until the day that child was born? When we found out we were expecting Joel, we got prepared straight away. Off to the pram shop we went with the, the hope of that future date. Off to the pram shop, and I didn't realize that prams take longer to come than cars do, which just I think is crazy, but anyway, that's a, a hobby horse of mine. We got the pram, we got the car seat, we got all these things sorted. I'll say we decorated my study into a nursery. It wasn't really me, it was everyone else. We changed my study into a nursery. So much in our present day changed because of the future hope that we had that this little baby was going to come into our life. Everything changed. Our savings accounts took on a completely different meaning. They were no longer for trips away to holiday and all this. It was to go and buy stuff for this future we won that was coming. I even had to go and change my car. All these things that changed. The baby wasn't even here yet. It was just a future hope that this baby was going to come. How much more the hope of heaven has to change how we live. And change everything about us. Everything that we are. And everything that we do. Our living hope needs to change how we live here and now. And if you can remember back to last week. We, we thought about how, how Peter was calling us to live lives that are holy. To live lives that are set apart. And, and in doing so... He was kind of making an, an individual call to holiness. But what we see here in verse 22 onwards is that the focus and emphasis changes from being about individual holiness to how holiness should shape corporate worship, the, 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 the family, the, the, the community that we're saved into. And holiness isn't just about this is how it affects me and my wee life. But actually, it needs to change how we gather together. It needs to change how we relate to one another. I said many times that we're saved as individuals, but we're saved into a community. We're saved into a family. And we've seen this family theme happen throughout this letter. We spoke about the father, we spoke about being born again, about inheritance, but now we see here again, it kind of take on a different kind of focus and different dimension where he begins to speak about brotherly love. That meaning love within our family. Your salvation must impact how you live your life and that needs to be seen within Christian communities. And he grounds this, and what we see is that he, he gives this command to love. Sincerely love one another, and he talks about earnestly loving one another. And he gives this command, but 
Before it and after it, he gives these two reasons why we are to do this. It's like, the, 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 if you picture like a, a sandwich, the, the commands are like the, 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 the pieces of bread. And in the middle, we have this command, which is like the sandwich filling. The, the first reason is having purified your souls by obedience. He then says, love one another. And then he says that we've been born again, not of perishable seed, but uh, through, um, sorry, not of imperishable seed, but of perishable seed through the living and abiding word of God. These are the two reasons why we are to do this command. So it's not just an off-the-cuff remark. It's grounded in reasons why Peter is giving this command to the church. There's no ifs, no buts, no maybes. Love one another, he says. Now, don't broaden this to be bigger than Peter intends for it to be. The danger and the safe thing for us to do is to, to make this a, a generic, let's love one another, we're to love everyone and love you know everyone that's out there. That's not what Peter's saying. He has been directly specific in who he is saying you have to love. Uh, if you've been born again, if you have um, tasted and seen that God is good, he says, if you have that living hope, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you're to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. He has been specific here with this command. He later goes on in his letter and he talks about our attitudes and how we relate to the world. Here he's talking about how the church relates to one another. Love each other. Love sincerely. Love earnestly, he says. So how do we do this? Like I say, this can't just be nice theology that floats about and, you know, it, it needs to land. It needs to be applied in our lives. It needs to be practical. How do we take this command from Scripture and make it visible here in our lives? If we want to be biblical and mature Christians, this congregation, this community of believers, this community of faith needs to be known for loving one another. If we do not love each other, we are not mature Christians. If we do not love one another, we're actually living against Scripture. So some of us might need to forgive that person that we've been harboring grudges against for umpteen years. For whatever happened, I don't know. Some of us may need to ask God to soften our hearts that are hard towards someone. Some of us maybe need to ask God to make it possible for us to do this because we find it hard to love people that we don't know. Talk about harboring grudges. My we. Wee wee granny, the smallest granny I've ever seen in my life who passed away a wee while ago. Man, she could harbor a grudge. My brother took home, uh, uh, and I can feel safe to say this story now because she's now gone to glory and I'm not going to get a clout around the ear. My brother took home my girlfriend one day. And as they do in Stornoway, you ask, you know, who, who are your people? And really, by doing that, we want to suss out the person. Do we trust them? Do we like them? Do you know, can we leave them alone in our house or is stuff going to be nicked? Who are your people? So my brother's girlfriend at the time told my gran who her people were. And the scowl on my granny's face. Oh, man. Nope, not good enough. She turned to my brother and said, you can't trust her. We're like, What? How? 
And my granny proceeded to tell us this story about my grandpa who owned or worked for a butcher van about 50 years before that. And there was this wee lady in the community who um, didn't have the money to pay for a couple of pounds of mints that day, so she did an IOU. And to this day, that IOU is still outstanding. It was never, ever paid. My granny never forgot. You can't trust her. We can't be harboring grudges. Friends, a forgiven people is a forgiving people. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. A loved people needs to be a loving people. If we say that we have experienced the redeeming love of Jesus, but we do not show it to those who are around us. I think that's why Peter ends verse 3 in chapter 2 by saying, if indeed you have tasted the Lord is good. If indeed you are a follower of Jesus. If you have really been transformed by the gospel, this will happen. I know that there are some people we gravitate towards. There are people that we, we just get on with. We have similar interests, you know, outside of church. Or, you know, we might go way, way back. We used to work with them. There's a variety of different reasons. And, and Peter's not saying here, you know, don't have friends. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying, don't have cliques. Don't be cold towards other people. You need to love them. Because they've also been ransomed. They've also been bought by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you see them, really what we should be seeing if they are saved is that they've been covered in the blood of Jesus. They've been adopted into the same family as we are. And I know they're people we gravitate towards. But the most important Unifying point in this church needs to be the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let him increase, let us decrease. He needs to be the one we rally around. Remember, I think it was Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is our banner. He is our rallying point. He's the one we gather towards. He's the one we draw, who draws us near unto himself. Talk to each other, pray for each other, love on each other. Be radical, invite people over to dinner, to your house. We've been so blessed with so many new people coming to church in the last few months, last couple of years. Sandy Hills members here, how many have you spoken to? How many? And I don't say this to... Give us a telling off. I'm saying it to us so that we can grow up into our salvation as part of maturing, as part of being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we know if we're growing in maturity and as disciples in this place? We see the fruit of the Spirit blossom. We get rid of evil traits and we see the fruit of the Spirit blossom. And what's the first one that the Apostle Paul speaks of? Love. It doesn't matter how theologically deep our sermons go. It doesn't matter how good our tech is. It doesn't matter how good our worship sounds, band or choir, whatever it is. It doesn't matter how good our coffee or our fundraising lunches are. It doesn't matter how many young people we have in this building. If we haven't got love, it's pointless. 
Is that not what the Apostle Paul says? If I speak in tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm just a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysterious and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. Friends, I have met some resounding gongs and clanging cymbals in my time going through church. And I'm not just speaking about here in Sandy Hills. In my experience of church, I have seen very gifted people, people who are very versed in scripture, who can, you know, they're very art, more, way more articulate than me. They can give the best sermons I've ever heard. They, they, they might be able to sing in beautiful harmonies. Their, their praise bands are, oh man, they're off the charts. They're incredible. They've got the best take you know and that you've ever seen. But their hearts are so hard and bitter. Paul says, resounding gongs and clanging cymbals if I have not love. Friends, I would love this place to be known for its radical, sacrificial, and overly generous love. And it starts with how we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ. How can we love those out there if we don't love those who are in here. I've been reading a book by Watchman Nee, and he was a, church, a Chinese church leader in the 20th century. And he tells the story of this, um, this brother in Christ that he knew. And this Christian man owned a rice field that uh, was on a hillside. And there was, it was a, a, a hill that was filled with rice fields and his was near the top. And when droughts came, he would have to you know, pump um, water manually from an irrigation into the rice field. And they would block it off with wood so that the, 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 the water wouldn't flood down the rest of the field. And one day this drought came and this Christian man pumped the water manually and it took him some time uh, and it filled up his rice field with water. During the night though, the person who owned the two fields below him breached the wood that would stop the water um, from running down. And what happened? The water that this Christian man had pumped into his rice field went down and watered the other two fields that this man owned. Now I would have been pretty annoyed. So the next day he fixed the breach and he pumped the water again. It happened four times. Four times the wall was breached and the water ran away. So like any good Christian man, what did he do? Well, he went and had a moan with other Christians that he knew. And they, they said, you know, it's not right. You know, what's the right thing for me to do here? I want to retaliate. I want to respond. But I don't know what right is the right thing to do. So this more elderly Christian man said, well, let's spend some time in prayer. And at the end of the prayer time, the elderly Christian man said, if we only do what is right, we're pretty poor Christians. This convicted this Christian man who owned the rice field to go. And he started by pumping the two fields below him full of water. And then later on, he pumped his own rice field full of water. So there was no reason for the man to breach 
the rice field wall. The guy who owned the two fields was just utterly dumbstruck by why someone would do something like this. So he went and he spoke to him. And uh, he told him why. He said, well, I'm a Christian. I just felt it was my duty to do so. The amazing thing about that story is that it ended by this other man who had stolen the water in the first place by putting his hope and trust in Jesus. He came to faith in Christ. Friends, if we only do the right thing, we're pretty poor Christians. We're called to be radical and sacrificial in how we live and how we love. How can we love those out there if we don't love our brothers and sisters in Christ firstly? And this goes beyond affection. It's an earnest love. It's a sincere love. It's a deep-rooted love that goes beyond affection. It goes beyond the niceties of, how are you doing this morning? I'm fine. It goes beyond all those things, and it goes much deeper. And who is our example? Peter's already shown it. You've been bought by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. A forgiven people need to be a forgiving people. And a loved people, we need to be a loving people. And Peter shows that this is deep-rooted within our salvation. He goes back and he speaks about us being born again. It's the second reason why he, he's given this command to love each other. Because you've been born again. Of this seed that will never wither and never perish through the living and abiding word of God. And we thought about that a few weeks ago, about the begetting process, just as in the natural, when, um, when, uh, when um, begetting takes part, there's place, there's a seed that's in that process. So too, spiritually, there's a seed that takes part in the begetting process when we're born anew. And it's the, the seed of God's word, that word that never changes, it never disappears, it never withers. And friends, I want to say, just with the General Assembly starting yesterday, there'll probably be some decisions that are made that we disagree with, and, and, and more importantly, that go against the Word of God. And I want to encourage you that we here as a session, me as your minister, that we stand upon God's Word. It never, ever withers. It is our authority. And the Church of Scotland would do well to hear and remember this in this couple of days that are coming with these decisions that might be made. Lord, have mercy upon us. Let us stand upon your word, regardless of the noise out there, regardless of what people say to us, regardless of the wind of doctrines that toss people about, we stand upon the Lord's word, which is living and abiding. It will never wither and it will never perish. And just in closing, Peter goes back in verses 1 through to 3 of chapter 2 by encouraging them to put away these evil traits, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. And, 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 I, and I honestly think this is him developing that call to the church, those that he's writing to, the Christians. This is how we have a pure heart. That was the call to love each other out of a pure heart earnestly. 
And this is how this happens. We need to rid ourselves of these sinful and evil traits. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. What do they do? They destroy community. They destroy love. Love is not possible if they are present. We will never love each other if malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander are rooted in our hearts. Lord, rid us of them. Like weeds in a garden, pull them out. And let all that is left be the fruit of your spirit. These evil attitudes and actions, they destroy the love that Peter is exhorting his readers to have. So that you may grow up into salvation. If you've tasted the Lord is good. Friends, we have tasted that the Lord is good. We know him and we love him. But holiness needs to be visible. People need to see the difference that Jesus is making in our lives. Sandy Hills Parish Church. Hear the call this morning from the word of God. Love one another. Love each other with an earnest love from sincerity and pure hearts. Let this place be known for us loving. What is it Jesus says? And I said it last week and I want to say it again this week. They will know you are my followers when you love one another. And this is all grounded in the knowledge of what Christ has done for us. A loved people needs to be a loving people. And please don't let this sermon just land out there in no man's land. Grab it. Ask the Lord to challenge your hearts, to convict you, to transform you, to make you more like his son and to make you more like the bride he deserves. Sandy Hills, love one another this morning. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for your love. That love that will never let us go. And Lord, we know that we love you only because you first loved us. And Lord, we know that we can only love each other out of the overflow and the knowledge of the love that you have for us. Lord, help us as a forgiven people to be a forgiving people. Lord, help us as a loved people to be a loving people. And Father, may this begin this morning afresh in our lunch in the hall. May we just know the love that we have for one another. Not just those that we call close friends, but those who are our brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, who have been purchased by the same price and by the same precious blood. Lord, purify our hearts, we pray. Rid us of any sin and any evil that may destroy and um, ruin the community that you long for your church to have. Help us to love one another. For we ask these things in your precious name. Amen.